All right, let's turn our Bibles this morning to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, and we're going to start out, we're going to be in uh, verse 31 this morning. And uh, yeah, as Ron said a second ago, Brother Jake, but uh, I hope, and the Lord knew what he was, uh, what he was wanting to pray for. And uh, anyway, we didn't give Ron the message this morning that I was preaching. Thank you so much for being here this morning. And uh, I just, we, uh, I was thinking as we were worshiping just a few minutes ago, uh, not only whenever I turned the camera on and and we were, uh, I was seeing people already logging, logging uh, on to our live broadcast this morning. And so we thank the Lord for that. And then knowing that we have someone all the way from Michigan watching with us this morning is pretty cool. So we're, Taryn, we see you. We thank you that, uh, or you see us, I should say. And, uh, but it's just a cool thing. I, I think our audience has been a little larger than what we see uh, each and every Sunday. And uh, I believe that is a very good thing. And uh, we want to bring that experience to them as much as possible. We, we try to do a little bit of work on our camera and just things like that. But thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, participating in our time of worship. I'm just always grateful and thankful and never, never say it enough of just how blessed we are with the music that we have and the worship time that we get to experience together. I hope we never take that for granted. Uh, because of all the live broadcasts and uh, things that are taped, I see a lot of messages and a lot of worship services, and uh, I'm again thankful, you know, just the amount of talent and the, the, the heart that's in, it, uh, that, that's in our worship service, <clears throat> and so I'm, again, very, very thankful for that. The last couple of weeks, we have been looking into a study called Grace to You, and uh, we will continue in that for the next uh, several weeks, and and in um, the last two weeks, we have looked exclusively at the life of Paul as he is the writer of Galatians, as we're going to be going through that book of Galatians. And we wanted, we wanted to be able to see where Paul, where he had originated from, where was his, uh, where was his start, how he was so uh, rooted in Judaism as he believed that he was doing the things that God had wanted him to do. And then you see his conversion and freedom that he has in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we saw that over the last couple of weeks uh, with Brother Jake. And this morning, before we get into Galatians 1 next week, uh, we're going to be looking at the law. We're going to be looking at, you know, Paul is going to refer to the law so much through the book of Galatians. And the reason for that is that these people, Paul had established a church. And we'll, we'll again, I don't want to get into too much of next week's message that Brother Jake will be preaching, Ron. But anyway, uh, but when we get into that, we're going to see how Paul is going to be addressing these Galatians, and he is going to be telling them, uh, uh, addressing some of the things that they're going through right in, in, you know, in their very churches. And so the thing that they're dealing with is Christianity, which is talking about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but then they're also wanting, there's teachers that have come in that are wanting to put these rules back in their, uh, in their lives and some things that they were practicing um, from the time of the law. And so uh, Paul does a great job of explaining to them that you can continue in your freedom in the Lord, that you should not go back into that law. So this morning we want to address kind of what is that law, what was the purpose for the law. And so really when we look at Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 through 34, I'm going to read it and then I'm going to kind of start 
really more into the message in just a second because of where I want to go with this. But Jeremiah 31, 30, 31 through 34 is really kind of good, a good hinge for us. Uh, because he refers to the old covenant that he had with Abraham, and he talks about the new covenant that he has through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's really a good hinge for us to uh, base this message on. And so I know a lot of you like to take notes. We encourage that. And so I wanted to give you a good basis of where we are, even though I'm going to be covering probably Genesis to Revelations before, Revelation before the time's up. But anyway, it's just a little, little funny. There we go. Thank you, Matt. Good to see Matt and Brittany back with us. I really thought about them yesterday. I don't know why I'm taking this commercial. Well, please excuse me. But I've been missing hearing the percussion and the, I call it a box, but apparently it's a cajon. Box sounds better to me. But anyway, um, I've been missing uh, him playing that and, of course, Brittany uh, each and every week. And so they're back with us with the new baby and so the whole family of four uh, you're almost there. When you start saying family of seven, then you, you've made it, all right? But anyway, let, let's uh, read Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 30, 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not concerning to the covenant, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. This is beautiful here. It says, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. If you really read into that and really understand those verses, that is shouting grounds. I know we're, most of us grew up Baptist and so we don't have a lot of shout in us this morning, but those verses are shouting ground because it tells us that we don't have to have this outside experience or really lose out on this intimate time that we could have with God, but that God wants to have a personal relationship with us and he tells us from the least of us to the greatest of us, uh, greatest that are among us. And so that speaks volumes to me that God wants to have a personal relationship with me. But he talks about the law here. He talks about the covenant that he had with the nation of Israel and God's people. And I kind of want us to get to that understanding because I feel like not only the people that are watching on, uh, on our live broadcast, but also you in the seats that maybe have grown up in church, maybe that you have maybe even just started coming to church and you're trying to figure out this Bible. You're trying to figure out how it all just kind of pieces together. And, and I can't say, uh, after being in church my entire life, I can't say that I have the Bible all figured out. I don't think any of us do. Uh, but to at least have a good timeline and a good understanding of what has happened, uh, what's happening or what has happened in the, uh, in the Bible, uh, every time I speak to Christians or talk to them, it seems like there's a little bit of confusion in their life, just not sure how it all just plays together. And so I want us to understand, even in the beginning, 
Well, first of all, and then my title as we looked at Jeremiah 31 real quick is liberty through the law. That's what we're going to get to this morning is liberty through the law. And so we understand creation. We understand how God is, is God. And he spoke the world into existence and he created not only everything that is on this earth, but I mean, he, he owns it all. And he tells us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we could even say he owns the hills that those cattle are on. Like God owns it all. And God, as he made creation, he made Adam and Eve. And he put man on this earth and he wanted man to, to be a creation that would bring glory and honor to himself. And we understand that in the book of Genesis, we saw the fall of man. We saw how man left to himself will choose to go his own way. And so we saw that in Adam. We saw that in Eve. Uh, we saw how God had uh, continued to multiply them. God had them over, the, uh, over all the other animals until sin had come. We understand that sin just kept building on itself. And so by the time Noah came along, which was not that many years later, but when Noah came along, it was a wicked and perverse generation. It was a, a, a very vile time that whenever uh, the time of Noah and the, the time of the flood, uh, Noah's there being ridiculed, being persecuted because he is telling everyone you need to repent because the judgment of God is coming and people would not hear it. And there he is, this preacher building a boat where there's not, it's not next to a river, but he says it is going to flood and it's going to be done through rain. And uh, it had never rained before on the earth up to that point. And then we see after the flood, we understand that. Uh, we've all heard stories. We've, 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 I think we're good up to this point. But after the flood, we understand that there was one people, there was one language. And you remember the people, again, coming together on their own and putting their own two cents together. They said, you know what, let's make us a great name and let's be like God. And they began to build that Tower of Babel. And God at that point saw what they were doing, saw that it was not good. He destroyed that tower and that he spreads them throughout all the land and he gives them different languages. We see that in the book of Genesis. And then in Genesis chapter 12, the reason I set all of that is just for us to have in our mind kind of what has happened up to this point. And in Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, he just, we don't really see much, of, we don't see Abraham up to this point. We just see that he's part of this family lineage. And he just really taps Abraham on the shoulder in Genesis chapter 12. You don't have to turn there this morning, but he tells Abraham this promise. And he gives Abraham not only this promise, but this covenant that he has specifically with him. And he says, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of the country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So he's telling Abraham, I'm going to show you a piece of property. And then in verse 2 in chapter 12, he says, I will make you a great nation. He says, I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's so much truth and there's so much promises in this promise that God had given Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And so from that, I think it's key and I think it's important for us to understand why the law comes into place when it does. Because God has given his promise to his man. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. It's going to be from your lineage that I'm going to make it great. And then he, so he has his people, he has his promise, 
And he also tells them, he says, I want you to go to this land and I'm going to give you this property. Now, we understand the story because we've read the book of Genesis all the way uh, through um, getting into Exodus. Is that we understand that Abraham goes and he live, and him and his family live on that property, but he's a stranger in his own land. He is there living as a foreigner in a property that God has said is going to be his. God had given him the dimensions of what his property line was going to be, and he was living in that property. God had given it to him, but according to the people there, the Canaanites, it was not Abraham's property. And so God had given him the promise, but it was not fully his, na his nation or his people's property up to this point. I'm going somewhere this morning, so hang in there with me, okay? So we have Abraham, and then after that we have Isaac. Isaac is the one that was the promised son that he was going to have a child in his old age. What you have to understand about Abraham is that Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham was a man that when God had given that promise, he just leaves all of his family and he goes to this land and he starts making way. He had trust and he had faith in God, even though no one before him had really had this kind of faith. And then Abraham, when God said, you're going to have a son in your old age, God believed, I mean, Abraham believed God that he was going to have this son, him and his wife, at that old age, and that son was Isaac. You see the faith that Abraham has, and he just trusts in God, even though it's supernatural. Even though the things that God is telling him is really just doesn't make a lot of sense to mankind. And then we see Isaac have his son Jacob. We know Jacob's name is later changed to Israel. But you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know Jacob, his name is Israel. He has his 12 sons. <clears throat> and that one son, at the end, as we see in the last part of Genesis, that son's name is Joseph. Now we've heard stories of Joseph. I always refer to this every time I talk about Joseph. I don't know why. But, uh, you know, growing up in church, I remember, and some of, some of y'all don't remember this, y'all so young. But anyway, I don't know why now I turned 40. I think I'm really, really old now. But anyway, uh, but we used to have the old felt board in our children's church, you know, in our children's time. We had a felt board, and we had the little, we had the little pictures that would get on the felt board. And uh, one of the pictures was, of, cor of course, Joseph and his coat of many colors. And so uh, Joseph was one that his father just absolutely adored. Uh, his father, Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph. And Joseph had the very best from his fathers, but his brothers despised him. And so you know the story of Joseph, how Joseph is there and his brothers just hated him, didn't like what their father was doing for Joseph. And so they sell him into, they sell him and he goes into slavery and he finds himself in not only in slavery, but he finds himself in prison. And the whole time Joseph is doing exactly what he, he's a man of integrity. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And just all of these so-called bad things are happening to a good person. And the whole time God is working out his plan. Even when people are lying against Joseph, even when all of these things, horrible things were happening, Joseph was still a man of integrity, doing the right thing. God had uh, a plan for Joseph's life. And because of he was a man of integrity and doing the right thing, when the time was right and the Pharaoh of Egypt, whenever he needed a, a dream to be interpreted, they, uh, they knew of this man that was in prison, Joseph, that could interpret that dream. 
And because he did that and God saw uh, Joseph to be faithful to God, uh, it allowed Joseph to be second in command in Egypt. And because of this, you remember the story as he revealed himself to his brothers and he reveals himself to his father. The whole nation of Israel now comes to Egypt. And whenever Joseph's there, all is good because Joseph has this kind of authority. But when Joseph dies and time goes on and the Pharaoh saw these people as a threat, he now puts them into slavery. He now puts them into bondage. So here's God's people. They're there as a nation, but they're in Egypt, if you're with me. God's people are in Egypt. They're in slavery. And they begin calling out to God, crying out to God as a people that are in bondage. And God hears their prayer. And you know the story here where God raises up a man named Moses. Moses was born in the house of Pharaoh. He lives 40 years of just blessing because he has the greatest teachers. He has the greatest uh, situation where he's raised in the king's house, in Pharaoh's house. But yet his mother is the one that is there basically being paid to raise him. It's a beautiful story in the book of Exodus. And, and, and Moses is there, and then you know that he uh, kills an Egyptian. He flees to the backside of the desert. For 40 years he is there. He's learning. He's, he's tending to his flock there as far as the animals that he was taking care of. But God's training him, molding him. And God never forgot about Moses. And then you know the story of the burning bush of how he's there on the backside of the desert and he sees a bush burning, yet it's not being consumed. And God is in that bush and God begins to speak to him that it's time for him to go and to bring his people out of Egypt. And so Moses is raised up. He goes, he takes the nation of Israel and he's, he, you see the 10 plagues there that is poured out on the nation of Egypt. And finally, after the 10th plague, they are released to go to their land. Why did I just give you that whole summary of Genesis and Exodus? It's because now you see God's nation, Israel, their leader Moses, and they are now, not only are they a, a people of God, God's people, God's chosen people, Abraham's descendants, but now they're making their way back to their land, this time to claim their land. And as they, are, as they are on that journey, they cross through the Red Sea, and once they get over on the other side of the Red Sea, God says, my people on the way to their land, and I'm going to give them my laws. And so we're going to see how God institutes his law to his people there in, in, in the book of uh, Exodus. And in Exodus 19, God begins to really give Moses these instructions. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful uh, scene here in Exodus chapter 19 uh, where God uh, gives, gives Moses these instructions and he tells Moses, I want you to go and I want you to consecrate the people. I want you to go and sanctify them. He goes, I want you to take two days in doing this. He tells them, uh, and he said, but on the third day in, in Exodus 19 verse 11, he says, I will come and I will come upon Mount Sinai and in the sight of all the people and I will give them my laws. God says, I'm going to give them all of these things in there. And then we see this not only in, in Exodus 19, we see the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and then so on. All through Exodus, into Leviticus, also some in the book of Numbers, where you see God instituting his law to his people. Now I want us to understand something. We're going to see this in the, in the next several weeks in the book of Galatians, as the Bible tells us that the law 
was a tutor. The law was a tutor. The law was something for us to see and understand and really see ourselves for our, our, our fallen self, our fallen nature. And the, the law was there to bring us and to guide us, and I'm thankful for my help this morning, right? But anyway, the law was there to help, me, help us and guide us to see ourselves for who we are, to see ourselves that we are in need of a Savior. And so I want us to understand that when people look at the law, they constantly are, we are no longer under the law. That is so true. But the law was there for a reason. Again, it was to bring us to understand who Christ is. But always, understand this, and I want you to write this in your notes if you're taking notes. Always, it was about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was always about faith in the Lord God. It was always about trusting in Him and believing in Him. And so just a reference, too, on the Bible, how it calls it a tutor, the, the law a tutor to us. It was Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 through 29. It gives us that instruction. It was never meant, the law was never meant to bring salvation to us. For me personally, the way I look at the law, it's, it's looks, when I look at the law, I look at it and I see impossible. It's impossible to, uh, to follow all of those rules. And so God had it set up whenever, as the nation, not only they would have to bring offerings on behalf of their, uh, of their sin, uh, each individual families would have to do this, but also even as a nation that they would have to come and, and bring offerings and bring sacrifices to God for God to have forgiveness over their sin that they've had over that year each and every time. And so God instituted that. God instituted his tabernacle. He instituted all these offerings. He instituted all of these priests of how he wanted the law to work and to, be, and to uh, function uh, for him. But I see the law, I see perfection. I see myself, and when I, whenever I examine myself to the law, I'm always going to fall short. And really, to me, the law is a picture of God where the only thing that, that's really different is the, the law could not bring that love and that satisfaction. I mean, God can. I'm not saying that it's completely God, but I, what I'm saying is when I look at the law, I see something that I cannot hold a candle to. I cannot hold up to its standard, and the same thing is true for God. I cannot hold a candle to God. I cannot be equal with God. Whenever I compare myself to him, just like if I would compare myself to the Old Testament law, I would see all of my faults. I would see all of my failures. I'd see that I would live in a defeated place because there's no way. How can I, always dealing with sin, always dealing with my own desires, how can I live up to this standard of who God is? And so the law was there as we look at God and we look at his standard we see how we're, we fall miserably short. And the Bible tells us also that if we, if we keep pretty much all the law but yet stumble in one, we're still guilty of them all. And so a, a good analogy for that is, you know what, you may be better than me. You may be able to strive better as far as keeping the law or even so-called getting closer to God because you don't have maybe as much sin in your life as I do. But the Bible also clearly instructs us that if we're sinners, then we're sinners. If we fall short in one, we fall shorter in, uh, fell, fallen short in all of them. 
And so I want us to, I know I've, I gave us uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 as a reference point this morning, but I also want us to look at Romans chapter 9 and verse 30. Romans chapter 9, verse 30, I'm going to read it, but if you want to turn there this morning, you can. But Romans chapter 9, as we look at some of these New Testament verses, really speak to, our, speak to my heart this morning. It says, Romans chapter 9, verse 30 says, What shall we say then that, Galatians, that Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have obtained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, this is very key in verse 33, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. It's talking about the law. And it says, And whoever believes on him, on Christ, will not be put to shame. You understand when Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he died a shameful death. He died and took our sin our place of that shame for us. The law, when we look at it, it brings shame upon us because we know we cannot live up to that standard. And we don't have to live in that shame because Christ took that shame for us. And that's what it tells us here in, 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 in chapter 9, verse 33. It says, whoever believes on Christ will not be put to shame because why? We are identified with the shame that he took for us on the cross. And so for us to live in this continual shame in the law, the Bible says there's no need for it. And Paul's going to instruct them in the book of Galatians, listen, there's no need for you to continue to be put under that tutor when you are now brought to Christ, who was the one that the tutor was for and to bring you to in the first place. And so continuing on, like I said, he tells us in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, he says, I'm going to now give them my law and I'm going to put it on their hearts. One of the ways, the way that he does this is he does it through his spirit. He does it through his uh, promise of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us. He says, listen, I'm going to, whenever you come and enter into a relationship with me, Whenever you come and enter a relationship with me, I'm going to give you my spirit, and my spirit is going to show you the right things. My spirit is going to show you how you ought to live. I love how Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, if you get a chance to turn there, you can if you want to, but it says, uh, Do not think that I can to destroy the law, Jesus says, or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but I came to fulfill the law. Jesus didn't come in opposition of it. Jesus came in a way to bring completion to it, to fulfill it. The law was to show us our need for a Savior. And then when the Savior came, that is who we needed to put our faith and trust in. And so look, as, we have, as we're looking at this and as we're going to learn in the next few weeks in the book of Galatians, that Abraham believed God, the Bible tells us, and because of his belief in God, he trusted in God in his daily walk with the Lord. That is what he relied on. The Bible says that righteousness was found in Abraham because that he believed God. Now, what is that word righteousness as we just pause there and look at that word? Righteousness is to be able to be in right standing with someone, to be able to be equal to someone. And when I talked about God a while ago and I talked about how he is uh, how the law is like God, that it's perfect, that, it, that it's spotless, and that I'm constantly, as I look to the law, 
I see my imperfections, but how can I stand face to face? How can I stand in a relationship with holy God? He's perfect. He's without sin. I am, I am full of sin. How can we have this relationship? And the only way that I could be in right standing, righteous before God, is because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. How he saved me from my sin, how he took that curse and that punishment for me, that's the only way that I could stand face to face with holy God. The Bible tells us that, that you are not justified by the law, but that the just, the people who are justified, they live by faith. They live in the things that God has shown them, that God has given them. They live by faith. The, the tutor was a way to bring us to Christ. It was not to bring righteousness. The Bible tells us that if there was a way that the law could have bring, brought righteousness, there was no need for Christ. But it was the law was not going to bring righteousness. I hope I didn't lose you. Let me give you some encouraging words out of the book of Romans, and then we'll be finished this morning. But in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. If everybody's with me still this morning, just say, uh-huh, just a little bit, uh-huh, good. All right, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, in verse 21, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God that through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, and for there is no difference. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've, we've heard that. We've seen that before. We've talked about that. But it says, being justified freely by, by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth as a propitiation uh, by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and justified of the one who has faith in Jesus. And he says that we can have this justification through the Lord Jesus Christ because why? We all fall short of the glory of God and that if we are found in the Lord Jesus Christ and are under that forgiveness that we can have this relationship. In Romans chapter 4, verse 13, I won't read all this, but verses 13 through 25, it talks about how the promise was granted to the children of Israel, but it was supposed to be done with Abraham and his descendants through faith, for them to have faith in God. And it was only because of Abraham's faith that it was accounted unto him righteousness even before the law. And so it's important even with the law and now after the law that we have faith in holy God. In Romans chapter 7 verse 6 I want us to look at this very clear it says but now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we have held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter and he's telling us that we need to now live in this place and in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 it says there is therefore no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but it walk according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and the law of death. And so because of this law, the law was showing us that we are under this kind of condemnation that we cannot 
we cannot work ourselves out of. We're going to see, continue seeing in the book of Galatians that it's not because of our works that we could get to God. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for our sins. That is the only way for us to get to God. And so it talks about now that we have liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ. That it's not because of our works, it's not because of what we're doing, but it's because of what Christ has done for us. And so as we wrap up this morning, I hope I've given a, 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 a small outline of what the law was. It was for God's people. It was for God's people to understand what he was establishing on their hearts, how he was showing them their need for a Savior. And we say now, we look for how, does, how is that relevant to us? It's not for us to live by these different rules of do this and don't do that. I'm very thankful that I have a job outside of the church. And I think it's been a real blessing for me because to be around people who have a perception of what Christianity is. And when they look at Christianity, I think they see a, a group of people that are not having fun. I think they see a group of people not only that are not having fun, but it's all just about do this and don't do that. This rule and that rule. I believe that's all they see, but they don't see a relationship with holy God. They don't, but they don't see a relationship with holy God. And I pray that we would be a people that understands that we are a people that falls short of God's glory. We are a people that God has his standards, God has his rules, but when God is telling us don't do something, it's for our own good. When God tells us do these things, it's for our own good. And so for us to live in that kind of place, when we demonstrate and we show our life as far as when we say that we're a Christian, that people don't just see do, do's and don'ts, but that people would see a genuine love and a relationship with holy God. That they would see, you know what, I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be perfect. But I sure am thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for me as how, how he has paid the price that I could have a relationship with holy God. The thing that I cherish the most with what Jesus Christ has done for me, I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for the promises that he has for me. But with those things, I'm thankful that I could have an intimate personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Where whenever I go through life and I'm dealing with how to be the best daddy, the best uh, uh, husband, the best co-worker, the best pastor, the best leader. How do I go through and navigate life? It's because I get to lean in in the Lord Jesus Christ. I get to lean into him and to see how he wants to help me and lead me and guide me through this situation. And so that is what I'm most thankful for with my relationship with the Lord, to know that I don't have to go through this life alone. And so when I'm there with other people and I'm trying to do what's right because eyes are looking at me, whether it's my own children at home or whether it's I'm at work and then there's all these eyes that are staring at me and I don't want to let those people down. The only way I'm not going to let those people down and do what I know that I'm supposed to do is for me to just continue to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not because of me, like I said, living up to these certain rules, because guess what? I'm going to break those rules. 
And when I do, those people are going to be pointing those fingers at me because I broke those rules, because I say that I live by those rules. But to know that, you know what, when I humbly come and I'm living my life before the Lord and before men, that I'm not in a place, again, of rules and regulations, but a relationship. And I'm thankful for that. And I hope we live our life in that way this morning. I hope as we look in through the book of Galatians, I hope you take it personal, that you are reading ahead. I pray that you are really studying each and every group of verses that we're going to be having in the book of Galatians, that you could see how do I live my life? How do I get the answers that I need each and every day of the things that I'm going through? And how can I really be a presence and a help of the places that God has put me each and every week? And that's why you don't see us, and I'm closing here, that's why you don't see us as, as presenting God's word as these do's and don'ts, as these religious rules. Even though, like I said, those things can be really good and a really good standard for us and that we should keep these things. But it's not about that. It's about a relationship with the Lord. And I pray that we would get a hold of that this morning, but that God would really mean that much to you. I pray that God would mean so much to you as we look at these things and all the things that he's done for you, that it would be a priority, that it would be something that is to the highest priority in your life as far as pleasing and doing what God wants you to do in and through your life. I pray that God's, that you would allow God's grace in your life to just rule over you and that you'd be able to show people around you who he is in and through your life. And so let me pray for us this morning and then we'll be dismissed. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Lord, I, I give these things to you today, Lord God, the, of the things that were said, the things that were done this morning. Lord, you know how to turn things in a way that is glorifying you, that, is, that can go a lot further than man's speech or that, that your words really can penetrate a heart this morning, Lord God. I pray through the readings of your word this morning, Lord God, that you would have spoken to hearts this morning, that you would have convicted our hearts, that as we go out this week, Lord God, that we would understand of the things, that we would understand the things that you have done for us, how you've made a way for us, Lord God, that you've given us forgiveness, and that as we go and live, that we would have you at the highest priority in our life, that no one would else, no one or nothing in our life would take or share uh, just of, of, of the glory that you have, Lord God, that we would put you uh, first in our life, Lord God, that we would show the love and the care that you have given to us, that we would show that upon other people, Lord God. Again, we love you and we praise you. We pray, Lord God, uh, just everything that is going on with our nation today, Lord God, we pray the things that are going on uh, just in our city, in our, in, our, in our parish, Lord God, in our state. We pray, Lord God, that you would use us in a mighty way to be your people in, in this generation, Lord God. And again, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Jake.